Hey guys, welcome to the Neglected Podcast. This podcast is not to change your mind, but to invite you into somebody else's narrative. This is a podcast to give a voice to the neglected. It is also an opportunity for all of us to engage. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Neglected Podcast. My name is Nick Schultz. You can hit me up at Schultzy Time. We are at For the Neglected. We are here at City Church, and my man Quinn is producing. Thank you, Quinn, like always, for being here. We have a special guest today. His name is Andre Murray. What's up, man? How you doing? Nothing much, man. How you doing today? I'm doing all right, man. This is like a special once-in-a-lifetime Saturday recording of the Neglected Podcast just for you, man. So I'm, I'm yeah, excited. I appreciate it. I've been uh, really trying to do this for a while. So uh, thank you for working with my schedule and everything. So, Oh, no problem, man. And you know, Quinn's been mentioning your name for a while, so that's kind of how I got connected to you mm-hmm. is is Quinn, you and Quinn worked together yes. and, and known each other for a little while. And he's like, man, Andre, he's got some to share. And I think it'd be really good for the podcast. And I'm like, all right, you know, yeah. let's do it. And Quinn was finally like, hey, give me a Saturday, let's do it. And we're doing it. So I appreciate yeah. you being here, man. And looking forward to the conversation. I already appreciate the hat. You know, it's, it's already good <laughs> so far, man. Yeah. But like always, when we start, we just kind of go with uh, little Andre, man, like where you grew up, what the culture environment was, the the family environment. And, you know, what's that that picture of uh, your life and, and what, what was going on? Uh, born in 1980, Savannah, Georgia, pretty much been here all my life. Grew up on the east side, single mother. Uh, didn't know my dad. I don't think I met my dad until I was 33, I believe. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, uh so it's pretty much just my mother and uh, my grandmother and grandfather, and you know a couple other family, but a lot of family stayed out of town. So pretty much was my mother and my grandmother for the most part, and my sister. So uh, that was it. Got into sports and played sports. Just hung around the neighborhood, East Side. So seen a lot of things, drug activities, and mm-hmm. you know crime and stuff like that. But mother did a good job of trying to instill me in the right direction to keep me away from that type of lifestyle. But you know, once you get a little older, you dabble in it a little, mm-hmm. since that's the area you grew up in. So it seems more normal, more natural than anything. So it was just everyday living for the most part. So what was like, what was the life like growing up without a dad? Did you have other men that, that stepped in and filled that role or was that very a big void in your life from either early on up to teenage years? Uh, I don't think it was a void because I guess because he wasn't he wasn't there so it wasn't like it was I felt like I was missing something because I never had it. Yeah. So uh I mean my granddaddy did a good job. He the one introduced me to sports and you know my uncle tried to uh be around as much as possible also. But other than that, uh I think those are the only two men I had in my life for the most part and but missing my daddy, I just never gave it much thought for the most part. I didn't allow it to affect me, I guess you could put it that way. I mean, mm-hmm. my mother did everything she can, so I was cool with it. It yeah. wasn't like I was lacking. I mean, she did, I'm sure we struggled, but she did what she could to not show us that she struggled. So mm-hmm. missing a daddy just wasn't nothing. And unfortunately, you know, it's a common thing in our community. So wasn't like I seen somebody else family like, dang, I wish I had my daddy. So mm-hmm. just was yeah. nothing. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful, man. And you said you were over on the east side of Savannah and, you know, diversity wise, 
was it reflected in neighborhood as it was in the schools you were going to or is it just predominantly black yeah it's predominantly black uh be honest i don't think i could think of a white neighbor i had really yeah i think everywhere i stayed pretty much was all black so is that all the way through like high school too pretty much yes uh i mean yeah i can't recall any to be honest oh wow man that's fascinating so like you know give me your from what you can remember when you were when you were younger was grade school high school like you know what was your uh, your thoughts on like race then didn't have one i Just mean didn't see it so didn't even yeah. no it wasn't that i mean you know of course in school i saw them and it was cool i mean i had friends that i considered well you know white males that i considered friends uh-huh. you know in school but just the neighborhood it just wasn't nothing around so i don't know if you want to call it like two separate lifestyles a school life and a, mm-hmm. a home life but in school it was fine and didn't think nothing about it uh of course i wasn't probably paying attention to news or, or anything like that that brought along say racial type stuff so yeah it was just okay seeing a white person in school with just a you know, a friend or a companion or just hey and by or whatever the case was, but it was never no type of envy or hatred towards them because you, I didn't know mm-hmm. them. And you didn't ever feel any issues either from like a nah. racial standpoint from anybody? It was just- Not that I could recall. Cool. Yeah, not that I could recall. I think everything was normal living. Yeah. I didn't have no issues. Good. You know, especially with the, the stuff that's going on in the news oh, now yeah. in, our, in our country too. I just, you know, I always wonder when I talk to my, with my black friends, especially when they grow up, just how they're, in your case, your mom or your grandpa, like, did they ever prepare you for things you needed to know about growing up or being a black man, whether it was like police related uh, or anything? It was just. I wish. No, but considering what happened, I probably wish they would have. Mm. You know, it probably would have helped. But, uh, nah, we, I don't think that was the conversation I ever had with nobody for the most mm. part. Maybe once I got probably in high school, there was a conversation I had amongst my friends. Yeah. So we'll know how to, you know, try to handle situations. And But other than that, like parents or mentors or anything, I don't think nobody ever can even be like, hey, you know, such and such is going on in the world, so you need to be careful. Mm-hmm. Never had that conversation. It, to me, I don't think it was how it is now. Like, yeah. you know, now it seems like you definitely have to have that conversation if you have a kid, probably regardless of whatever race they are. Mm, but that's a good point uh i don't think i really didn't have no issues with police i don't think i was ever introduced to police until high school that's when i first started having issues or run-ins with them mm-hmm. and was it i mean when you're looking back on when you say issues and running was it something like you were specifically doing that was illegal or was it like nah. hey, just profiling or like you're I mean, with a group of black was, men. Uh, and- yeah, group of black men. Uh, you know, growing up in the areas, you know, they put out their drug checkpoints, but that was like our hangout spot. I mean, it was a drug infested area, but doesn't mean everybody's in that area selling drugs. Right. And so sometimes they'll come and just because we're hanging there, want to search us and everything. So, you know, that was my first run-ins with them when, I, when they started doing stuff like that to, you know, me and my friends. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, they never had an issue with them. Mm. So, you know, that was annoying because you know like here they come again and you know so it was sickening mm-hmm. but i guess it was also i mean they were doing a job so i can't you know knock them for that part but just wish that they would be more aware of 
who the players are and who just, you know, the bystanders. Mm-hmm. just growing up in that environment and not actually living that lifestyle. So you think they know a lot of times who the players are and where yeah. to really look, but it's just yeah. like, hey, you're here so we can exactly. kind of do what we want to do? Yeah, because, I mean, just because you not living it or active in it doesn't mean that you're probably not partaking in it somehow or some way, mm-hmm. either being a user or just running an errand for your friend because you know he's doing it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if they could catch you that way and probably get you to maybe turn on them, you know, I'm sure that goes all into it, but it just, for the most part, none of my friends did nothing like that. So it was just sickening when they came around just because that's the area we stayed in. But I mean, I understood because the sign was like literally like right in front of us, but still, you know, like y'all know it's us for the most part. Mm -hmm. Not one time have y'all found anything on us. So why almost every time y'all come, y'all come like straight to us. Yeah. Um, Well, if you didn't see maybe friends you know, taken to prison or a restaurant thing that did you see a lot of people you knew in the neighborhood or like witness oh, yeah. people yeah, going I mean, away I for see, a long time? Yeah, yeah. I um bank robbers, you know, drug dealers or, you know, gunfights. I mean, I seen it. Street fights. I mean, I seen it all. So I knew a lot of people who went to jail. Uh, I don't think nobody like super close to me ever went, but mm-hmm. you know, just in the the circle of the neighborhood I seen people go mm. and how close were you to going as well i mean i know we're going to talk about something when you were 18 but when you were under 18 were there instances where you were wrong place wrong time and mm. almost thought you were gonna get in trouble for something you weren't doing or uh nah nope like i said none of my friends never did i mean i'm not gonna lie and say none of us as a whole group never dabbled in maybe you know nickel and diamond yeah but outside of that well Maybe one time, now that I think about it. I mean, it was a bad situation, but I don't think the police never responded to it or anything. I mean, I'm not going to—we got actually got in a shootout, and I don't think the police ever came to the area at all. Wow. Other than that, nothing ever happened to us, so yeah. we was good. So what was the plan then going through high school and getting out? Is there something you wanted to do when you got older or something you wanted to do after high school or— uh, I mean, you know, growing up, I played sports a lot, so I wanted to dabble in sports, but honestly, saw my body didn't cooperate with that, and I was a little too short for the most part for my main passion was football, so I kind of gave it up once I got in high school. I let my friends taught me joining the band, so got in the band and going through high school and with classes, nothing never really stuck out to me, and then finally accounting kind of did, so, because I, I did like math a lot, and that would be the only subject I actually did my work in sometimes. I do all my math work and something that's probably related to it, like chemistry, but anything else, I would just do enough just to make sure I was passing. So kind of stuck with accounting after I ended up taking an accounting class, so that was going to be my plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that let's segue there. That was going to be my plan, and then you yeah, know, what, what actually kind of happened to, to derail that plan? Uh Right after graduation, I actually graduated, I can't remember the date, but it was May 26th or something like that. So the following week, uh, finally- When did you graduate high school? 1998. Okay, I was 99. From from Savannah High in 98. All right. Yeah. And so uh, a couple of weeks after that, I ended up getting pulled over. And uh, 
you know, they asked for your license and everything, all that type of stuff, and gave them my license. And I was in the car with a friend, so noticed the officer never come back to the car. So we started asking each other, like, what you did? Because they took both of our license. And, of course, neither one of us did anything. So, you know, we in the car laughing and joking about it. Next thing you know, I noticed a detective car pulling up. So we really, like, you sure you ain't did nothing? Hmm. And, like, next thing I know, I was escorted. They didn't give me back my license. They... The police car was in the front, the detective car was behind us, and they escorted us down to the precinct on Havisham Street. And uh, Do you know why at this point? I or think they, they told me uh, my car was involved in a, a robbery, is what they told me. Uh-huh. And okay. uh, when I said earlier, I wish somebody would have told me about yeah. dealing with stuff like that. So nobody never did. So I went along with it knowing that I didn't do anything. So I went down there and talked to them and uh, voluntarily allowed them to take pictures of me and the car because I knew I didn't do nothing, so I'm not thinking nothing about it. You didn't realize you didn't have to do that or could have Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know. Like, today, even in my innocence, I would not cooperate to do anything like that. Mm-hmm. I would strictly just say, you know, call my lawyer mm-hmm. or whatever, but I'm not volunteering for nothing like that. I don't care what the case is. After going through that situation, just wouldn't do it. So you get taken down there, and then what happens? Uh, they let me go home, of course, and, and being that I still knew I didn't do anything, I didn't think I even said nothing to my mama about it until uh, I think they contacted me again. It was like they needed me to come back down, and then I finally said something to her about it, like, hey, mama, uh, you know, told her what happened, and I told her they need me to come down to the uh, station again. They want to interview me again. And so she was like, all right, let's go. So we went, and uh, so we went down there. They do the interview, steady asking about it. So what supposedly happened was uh, a middle-aged white guy was in the Archie Park area walking down the street. Two young black males ran up on him and held him at gunpoint, patted him down. He didn't have nothing, so they left. That was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so supposedly he saw me two days after it happened leaving uh, well, he was leaving the cleaners on, I think that's 58th and Waters, right on the corner. And I was actually coming down 58th, and he said he saw me. And so he got my tag number and gave it to the police at some point. He didn't call that day, but at some point he gave it to the police. And so that's how they pulled me over when they finally did pull me over, was from when he finally did get on my tag number. Wow. And so... Uh, it happened at like 9.30 at night, so it wasn't like it was broad daylight where he saw somebody clearly. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I had a, a box Chevy Caprice, so that was 98. And in 98, that was a very common car for the urban area. Like, almost everybody wanted one, or either the Oldsmobile or the Pontiac Parisian. All of them pretty much look alike. So it wasn't like it was... Uh, to say a Ferrari or something where you know it distinctly and mm-hmm. you know that's just the car. So uh, so back to when I went down there, we talked for a while and for whatever reason, I could not remember what I did the actual day it happened. I could not remember, but still I knew I didn't do that. And so they had me down there a long time and uh, finally they let me go again. And you're only 18 at this point too. Yes, I'm only 18. That's gotta be like nerve wracking. Very, yes. No. Yes, I was only 18. Like I said, just graduated high school. Uh, in the process of going to college, uh, you know, I signed on with Savannah State, so I was in the process of, you know, getting everything together for that. And so, you know, I'm at a 
big crossroads, mm-hmm. not knowing if what's going to happen with this or even if I should go to college because I wasn't focused on it. So uh, not too much later, one night I was home, and here come the whole squad at the door. I was in the bed. I rolled over and looked. They in the door, guns drawn, everything. What the heck? Yeah, I hear my stepdaddy arguing with them because they trying to like look over the whole house, and he was like, no, y'all can't. And, but like I said, I'm only 18, so I don't know what's going on. And like I'm talking about, they were super deep too. And at this age, understanding like crimes and looking at what happened, even if they say I did do that, I don't think everything that proceeded was necessary because like, I mean, I know it's bad for somebody to get held at gunpoint, don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. being that he wasn't hurt, nothing was taken from him. So you, I didn't understand like why y'all was being so serious. Like why was y'all so determined to you know, you know, uh, take me down for something that seemingly was small at the time that you didn't even do. Yeah, in your mind. Yeah, especially that that I didn't even do. Jeez. And so, uh, got locked up. Of course, was in the county for a week. They denied my bond. Had to go through a bond hearing. Uh, finally bonded out. And then uh, when I bonded out, still was, my mom would push me trying to go to school because she was like, it would be good if you was in school when you go to court. And I'm like, man, school is the last thing on my mind right mm-hmm. now. So I actually went, but I wasn't really doing no work. I think I was failing probably every class because I just wasn't focused at all. And what did you, – you have a lawyer at this point? Yes. Well, is it, is I, I don't a- know if I had one at that point. So because, who's advising you, though? Like, is it just like your mom and family? Like, here's pretty what Pretty much because I still didn't – didn't talk to no lawyer. I don't recall talking to a lawyer or anything because I didn't, I don't even recall really being aware of the bond hearing. I yeah. just knew I had it and mm-hmm. it was scheduled a week after I got locked up well, uh, in the county jail. And I, I'm assuming they got them after I bonded out. And uh, So you bonded out and then how long is it until you go back for another, did you go for another hearing or like, what are you waiting on to happen after you get bonded out and going to school? Well, in the midst of all of that, I mean, I did actually get arrested again for a shoplifting charge. And once I did that, they revoked my bond. Mm. Cause they put me in a pre-trial program which basically is like probation before getting sentenced. You know, they supervise you, you have to call in on a regular and so forth. So they uh, revoked my bond for that. And so after that, I never got out again. Hmm. And, and, you know, just to go back to the, the shoplifting thing, was that just something that got caught on before? Or was it like your your I mind is all messed up at this point and like you're I not sure what no you're doing excuse. in life kind of thing? Or? I have no excuse, no explanation for it. Just happened. Yeah. I mean, I was, say what happened. I actually went in the Best Buy and what, uh, it was around the time of my mom's birthday in October. And, uh, think I stole a CD for her, for her birthday gift. Why? Like I said, I don't know. And I just did it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that didn't work out. Apparently I, I wasn't skilled enough. So <laughs> <laughs> so that didn't work out and uh, they revoked my bond. So uh, I called, the. I actually bonded out from that and uh, probably shouldn't have called the pretrial supervisor, but my mama forced me to call in, so she was like, you know we're gonna revoke your bond. And I was like, yeah. 
So I can't remember exactly how long that took, but it wasn't too long after that. And so I pretty much had to turn myself into the county jail. And so uh, once I did that, I didn't get out again until I was let out from everything else. Let out? I mean, and I how said, many years is that? Eight and a half years. Okay. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of questions that go in between this where, yes. <clears throat> you know, you go, you get, either way, were you going to serve eight and a half if you didn't do shoplifting? Did that just like? Well, nothing was talked about because it's, like I say, uh, the initial thing, I guess, kicked off in like June. And so this is in October once the shoplifting and everything. So that's when I went back in the county. So I haven't had no contact with them between June and October. Nothing was talked about, nothing. So I don't know what was going to happen. So what did you get charged? Did you take a plea deal? Did they charge you? Like, what was the actual crime? No, they was trying to give me uh, a deal, but I was innocent. So I wasn't taking it. Right. Uh, so the charge at first was aggravated assault. You know, actually, the charge at first was um, robbery, but being nothing was taken, they dropped it down to aggravated assault. And during the course of actually going to trial, my lawyer's trying to get them to drop it down to simple assault, because actually, by law, simple assault is what applies, because nothing was taken, and you only put the gun out on somebody. Even though they can technically charge you with aggravated assault for brandishing a firearm, but in most cases, they would drop it down, and that seemed like... It should apply under that circumstances, but they wouldn't do it. And is your lawyer, is that like someone you guys hired? Was it just an appointed lawyer? Uh, he was a paid lawyer. He was. I don't think he did his best job, but he was a paid lawyer. Yeah, that's what I'm, I mean, I don't know. I don't know all the, everything, but it's just like yeah. you, eight and a half years. And like for you, you know, uh, you're, you're saying like, I wouldn't, you didn't do anything. But the sentence was actually 12 years. Man. They actually gave me 12 years for that. So you got out on like good behavior? That's just the biggest myth or TV <laughs> thing. Well, at least it doesn't happen in Georgia. Georgia has a parole board that is, I would say Georgia's parole board is corrupt or the worst because their policies are crazy. So you're expecting to serve 12? Well, they gave me a 12 do 10. So I'm under the uh, parole board's guidelines, you have to serve 90%. So I was expecting to do nine years for... Just say if I did it for just pulling the gun out on somebody. Well, actually, I wasn't the gunman. It was two people. So I was the one who patted them down, basically. And uh, But they never found nobody else. Once they got me, that was it. They didn't ever look for nobody else. They never – I don't think they did a good job investigating the case. I just think they went off of his thing because they gave him a photo lineup. Going through the trial, I saw the photo lineup, and there were six people. So the uh, – they said I had a necklace on. So I had on pretty much, just say I had on this shirt, a collar shirt. It was blue in my picture, and I had a gold rope on. And so the person who did it had a necklace too. So in my photo lineup with six pictures, I was the only picture that had a necklace on. And so when I seen it and told my lawyer about it, so he mentioned it, the DA came back and said, oh, that's a part of my shirt. Like, you talking about a blue blue shirt. And a gold necklace. How was that a part of my shirt? And just the fact that I'm the only one in the picture with the necklace on. So I just, it was all bad to me. Was it 
Was there a jury or was it just the yes, judge? Yes, I went to jury trial. I mean, they tried to get me to do the open-ended plea, which is throwing yourselves on the mercy of the judge, and he could just give you whatever he wanted to give you. Mm -hmm. But, again, I was innocent, so I wasn't taking no plea deal. And I think the only deal they was trying to give me was 10 years. So I wasn't trying to do that. I wasn't trying to go on the open-ended plea. So only option to me was taking it to trial. And, again, I know I'm innocent. So I'm like, you know, once everything comes out, like the jury will see I'm innocent and – I go home. I had a three-day jury trial, and I didn't go home. Dang, man. Did you testify? Nah, my lawyer said I shouldn't for whatever reason. I don't know, but I wish I would have, you know, knowing what I know now, just going through the whole system. I wish I would have. At any point during this time before, like, you actually get a, a guilty plea, are you thinking, like, I'm innocent, I'm going to be innocent, they've got to see this, or is part of you preparing yourself to be potentially guilty and go to jail what, what are you going through mentally through all this a little half and half uh it took actually a year before i actually went to court so i was in the county jail a whole year before i actually went to court so uh they threw the shoplifting charge out so you know that was one less thing i had to worry about but i'm still you know worrying about this and you know talking to the lawyer and everything and so it was half and half uh at that time i didn't have no Thoughts of the justice system because I never dealt with it firsthand and knew nobody who dealt with it firsthand. I just seen like secondhand stuff or stuff happening in the community. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have no thoughts about it. So, but just being in the county for a year and seeing like what people went through, it was half and half. It's just hard for me to get my my mind around it. To oh, yes, it's go to go me. to prison, go to trial, get arrested, anything for something you didn't. Yeah. you didn't do and how that doesn't just like mess with your your mind I mean, we haven't even talked about what your time was in prison i mean we'll, we'll hop into that in a second but just yeah. that moment where you know you're told you're guilty and oh, it's yeah. for something you didn't do and now the kind of the prime time of your young adult life has gone yes. for yeah. something that you didn't you weren't even a part of like i don't i can't imagine what that's actually like it was rough uh Going through the three days, going through the three days and listening to the stuff the Will said, you know, hearing like the relationships of I think the uh, detective and the uh, the victim actually went to church together or something like that, and you know, just hearing so much stuff and you, I'm just shaking my head and like as this unfolding, I was beginning to actually feel like just not looking good. Because just hearing the stuff that was said, like you seen the photo line up, like I said, I'm the only one with the necklace on in the picture. Mm -hmm. uh, hearing the dead lying, saying it's my shirt, part of my shirt. Like, you know, that's clear that's not a part of my shirt. Mm -hmm. And why am I the only one with the necklace on in the lineup if the guy supposedly had a necklace on? So uh, once I got sentenced, I think what bothered me most was hearing my mama cry in the background. Mm -hmm. That's probably what bothered me most. So, yeah, it was rough, and you know, them say that I'm about to do possibly 10 years of my life again for something that I didn't do. Mm. So, it, it was hard. Well, yeah, man, dude, <laughs> don't blame me, man. Take your time. I just, like I said, I can't get, I can't get my mind around it, and. You know, it's it's very frustrating to hear, and you know, I've got, of course, my own assumptions or maybe even prejudices about like what that was like for you, and because of 
who you are and how people view you and, and things like that. And, you know, I can't imagine sitting there in a trial, like, are they trying to like paint a picture of you as like, Hey, he's a bad person. This is the kind of people he hangs out with. And we know, well, he also shoplifter. He, you know, he does these kind of things in life and like, but none of that really came up in trial. Like none of that came up in trial. They didn't really ask no questions. So it was just straight up like facts. Like, here's the guy I saw him. Look, he's got the shirt. He's got the necklace. Yeah. The type of car I saw. And, Okay, they're trying to just make it cut and dry. They don't even have to like attack your character. It's just yeah, they didn't that's really the guy. Do none of that. Uh, and and was, in the process, my lawyer was trying to get them to give me probation. I don't know if the law is still the same, but I know the judge said in Georgia they only do two years supervised probation, hmm. and that's actually where the twelve years come from. They was only going to give me ten years, but since the judge actually said, "Well, since you want the probation, I give you two more years, which is the twelve years, and just serve ten years." Wow. Was the was the jury diverse? When you saw the jury, did you think like you were that was a good thing for you or a bad thing for you? Uh I don't really remember to be honest, but I didn't really give it much thought because, you know, my my thought was just that I'm innocent. So Yeah. And again, I don't really know really what's going on. So. Yeah, I know it's so many questions to look back on, but yeah. like when you're eighteen and yeah, I didn't, that kind of stuff's yeah. happening and God dang man, it makes me so frustrated for you. Yeah. All right, well, let's let's jump into it then and just go into prison life. You know what that's uh, what's pr- the what's prison the... life really wasn't bad to be honest. I'm not saying it was good. Don't get me. You wrong. don't want to go back, but yeah, yeah. But it really wasn't bad. I mean, uh, thank God I didn't go nowhere that was uh, rough. Pretty much everywhere I went was low to medium security, so it wasn't like a lot of gang activity. wasn't a lot of fights. wasn't a lot of uh, you weren't scared for your safety? Yeah, for the most part, no. So it wasn't bad. It was just being away from home and knowing that I shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have your hopes of, you know, maybe I could get out on appeal or whatever the case is. And, you know, as the days, the months, years goes and, you know, appeals getting denied. So, you know, your hope is just dwindling and yeah. dwindling. So after a while, you just kind of lose hope, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. We haven't talked about like faith or anything, but did but did that whole experience, whether it was, you know, right before you went to prison or like going into prison, did that change your views on, you know, what you believed in, you know, either uh, I mean, growing, faith, religion or anything like that? How did that affect you? Growing up, my mother and my grandma kept me in church. Once I got older, I had the option kind of of either Sunday school or church. So I mainly picked Sunday school just so I could have the rest of the day to myself. So uh, I didn't really apply it. When I was in the county jail, they had a, a chaplain's dorm, which was uh, faith-based, well, mainly Christian faith-based. And eventually I ended up going there, and that's when I started applying it. And so, uh, you know, we used to have a process of getting up at, I think, uh, 6 in the morning, I want to say, and reading the daily bread and praying and reading Proverbs and all of that. And uh, throughout the day we had like a class and church services and everything. So, you know, I started applying it pretty hard during that time. So, uh, and it's crazy. Uh, I was actually studying Revelations uh, 2 and 10 and the verse said that uh, some of you will have tribulation for 10 days 
and just you know looking at the numbers of it the <laughs> 10 years and mm -hmm. I was that's actually what I was studying at the time that I got sentenced and so I remember when I got back to the dorm uh one of the brothers was like what happened I was like you know what we're studying that's what happened and he was like what you mean I was like I got them 10 years and not 10 days but 10 years and he was like you serious I'm like yeah you know but I didn't I didn't hate God I was mad at God yeah so I understand that I just you know saw it after him though and that's what probably helped me through it because uh pretty much everywhere I went every prison I went to had a a good church system kind of so to speak and so you know I was involved went to church on a regular you know studied on my own on the regular so it kept me solidified definitely did and I mean I wasn't lying or be remiss to say it didn't kept me protected also yeah well man a couple couple of things to follow up with just being in prison there and and um as you're getting closer to to getting out are you you know some people mention that they get so used to being in there that it's really scary to go out oh, nah. for you you're ready yeah. you, were you concerned about what you would be doing yeah going i was out? concerned i was very concerned because i didn't have no plan because you got to think now getting out i would be 27 years old yeah that's my whole childhood with my whole you know early 20s really when your life is starting to unfold you know, you starting to get solidified, find out who you are. Mm -hmm. I mean, I found out who I was, but in a different environment, and that's not an environment for anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a terrible environment. And I don't know about now, because I don't really know nobody in the system, but during my time, Georgia doesn't have nothing to help you. Uh, I had a high school diploma, so it wasn't nothing they could do for me. You're not, no reentry education or skill training, nothing, nothing like that? Nothing, you just there. Mm -hmm. wasting away i mean of course you could get people to send you books and stuff like that but other than that you're just there wasting away you're around a bunch of people who for the most part is sad but they're plotting on how to do a, another crime mm. you know you have two people who possibly robbed the bank and they sitting around talking about what they did wrong and thinking about what they did right and we're like this is what we need to do the next time <laughs> so you know it's a terrible environment uh i went to one place that was drug infested i mean Probably every drug you could think of was the mm. alcohol. I'm talking about real alcohol, not the prison made alcohol. Like it was bad, uh, and they knew and didn't really care. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it was like a work camp, so they were actually coming in and tell us, like in a way, like we know what y'all are doing, but just please get up and go to work. So it was bad. So you just there wasting away. So I didn't know what I was going to be doing. Like I had no plan for the most part. Uh, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I was totally lost when it came to that. Like I said, I was gonna be 27, so I had no clue. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine. And the other side of it, I wanted to ask you about too, is just um, I don't know what they call it, just like forgiveness or your your views of people that put you there. Like, how do you <sighs> how do you either continue to carry that weight and like, do you is there a point of forgiveness? Like, if I saw a person, or just even in my own heart or my mind, like. I don't want to think about it anymore or I have to like let this go or I, you know, I man, you know, screw these people. They put me here and I'm innocent. And you know, how do how do you live with that kind of weight? I have mixed feelings. Overall, I have no ill will. Uh I wish the detectives would have investigated better. I wish the guy wouldn't have 
been so stern and just picking me out. You know, I wonder why sometimes because I have my whole transcript, so I have his address. So at times I wanted to go to his house and ask him, like, why did you pick me? Mm. Like, what made you say me? But I know that probably wasn't a good idea. Uh, I seen my lawyer one time walking downtown. I wanted to go find him and ask him, too, like, why didn't you do a better job? But overall, I don't have no ill will. I don't necessarily trust the police. I don't. I hate the prison system, not because of. Well, I hate it because going through it, I see that they don't try to help you. And they constantly talk about, you know, like rehabbing, but there's no way to rehab you if they're not doing nothing for you while you're in there. And I'm not saying that they're supposed to have it where it's made out where you're super comfortable, mm-hmm. but it has to be something where you're are mentally stimulating yourself and not just being stagnant and sort of kind of dying off. So, like, something has to go on. Like I said, the only thing they have in there is GED programs and uh, drug rehab programs and stuff like that. I wasn't on drugs, so I don't need none of that. I had a high school diploma, so GED was out of the question. And, uh, but, yeah, I don't have a big ill will. It's actually a, overall, I think it's a motivation because I can't go back to the, and, Overall, that's not my lifestyle. That's not something that I do. But seeing what I went through, knowing that it can happen mm-hmm. out of your control. So it's a motivation to never put myself back in that situation. It's a motivation to always, you know, remember where I go at, remember where I've been, you know, pay attention to your surroundings and stuff. But it's no major ill will, though. Okay. But I know some people who sort of kind of been through it because you'd be surprised how many innocent people is in it. And they're on the other side of me, you know, mad yeah. at the world. And I can understand it, but I just didn't want to take that route. I just stuck to my faith and mm-hmm. just wanted to be a better person than become a product of the environment or being coming another statistic, which they want it because when you look at the system, it's designed for you to fail. It's designed for you to go back. And I wasn't going back. So it's a motivation to just keep pushing. Hmm. Well, let's take it up on that part, at least the, when you did get out. So what is that, that day like, that moment like of when you finally are released? Man, it was a joy. And the frustration, the frustration came from my sister. She was supposed to come pick me up. And I think you were allowed to leave. I think it's early as either seven or eight o'clock. I don't think my sister came and got me to like one o'clock or something like that. So I'm like mad at her. But overall, you know, it was a joy. But at the same time, the reality sets in is now what? Because like I said, I don't have nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did go to the halfway house and I did have a, you know, in the halfway house you work. So I was working. So I had, you know, a little bit of money, but it wasn't like I really had, you know, some money. But overall, I didn't have nothing. So mm-hmm. then you got to look at it. I'm 27, about to go stay with my mother. I mean, I understand the circumstances of why, but still, yeah. 27, living with my mother. Like, what am I about to do? Mm-hmm. So how long did it take to get like a job that was better than the halfway house and get get on your own feet i mean i pretty much kept that job for i think a couple of months and then i switched jobs and i stayed with my mother for a year uh got me an apartment and been on the run since you know it's been 
honestly, it's been lovely. I can't complain. Uh, I have a decent job now. I have a decent family. Actually, a deacon at Christ Memorial Baptist Church. Uh, been married for six years. Have a daughter that's three years old. You know, uh, my friends from back then, we're still friends. The, the unit is solid. Great foundation. I mean, overall, life is good. I mean... Well, it still hurts. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It hurts. I think it's always going to hurt. Uh, it's the what ifs that bother me. Yeah. You know, never know what I could have been. I mean, yeah. I also understand something bad could have happened. I'm not, you know, naive. But you didn't get the chance. Yeah. Like, you know, just think, you know, from 18 to 27, you know, how, you know a lot can happen in that time frame. Mm -hmm. You know how much the world changes, you know, in – one year, but you're talking about eight and a half years. You know, you riding around town looking at stuff and like the building was there, it's gone. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the house you probably stayed in is gone. Yeah. You know, everything is different in eight and a half years. So, like I said, that reality of like, what now? Mm -hmm. But like I said, I stayed one mother for a year. Once I moved out, I worked, actually worked three jobs at one time. You know, I was determined. You know, so I was just working and I didn't have no major responsibilities of uh, a mate or kid. So it would just work for me because I wanted to make sure that, you know, I had resources, make sure that I didn't put myself in no situation to, to get in another situation like that again. Mm -hmm. But now you are married and you do have a kid. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I kind of want to bring it all kind of full picture now to where you're at with your life now. And you know, one of the, the things that you said towards the beginning of the podcast was, I wish I would have known some of the things about how to deal with the police or, yeah. you know, how to deal with court system, lawyers, mm -hmm. all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, now you have dealt with it yeah. and you have your own kid and she's only three, but she's going to be older and, you know, oh, you yeah. might have other kids in the family who are going to be young men or cousins or brothers or who, you know, whatever's going to happen. Like, what are the things that, you wish you knew then that you know now that you're going to have to pass on to your next generation uh the main thing would be don't talk without a lawyer i don't care if you're totally innocent just don't do it because uh looking back they actually used something like i said i couldn't remember where i was at the night of the incident so after i left the interview or interrogation not an interview me and my mother was talking and couldn't find out i was actually on the punishment so i was home because after I graduated, when I got the car, I stayed out past curfew. So they took the car from me, but I could have still left. But, you know, I was like, I can't drive my car, so I'm not going anywhere. So I was home when it actually happened. So not knowing, I called them and like, hey, talking to my mama, I was mm -hmm. home. So going through the court system, they flipped it against me and was trying to, you know, say I was lying and all of that type of stuff. So the main thing, just do not talk to them. Mm -hmm. Like at all unless you have a lawyer just don't talk to them because they're going to try to use it against you somehow some way i know they tell you that but if you don't know you don't know yeah. but now that i know don't talk to them especially when you're such an emotionally tense situation where you're oh, yeah. scared you don't know what's going on like you're not thinking straight yeah this, not at all when stuff like that's happening and <laughs> it's like you don't like you say i don't remember that happen because your yeah. mind is going crazy yeah, and but be honest like most people don't remember what they did yesterday almost well, i'm guilty of that too but you talking about at the time something that probably happened i think like two three weeks ago and you want me to know exactly what i did three weeks ago at eight o'clock yeah. p.m mm -hmm. like 
most people can't answer that question. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it usually happens after you have a conversation with somebody else and you could, you know, string up the events and then you'd be like, oh, okay, I was here. Mm-hmm. But just like off the fly, like most people can't answer that question. I mean, we see it all the time on, you know, like the YouTube channel when people just walk up to you and ask you random questions like where the Boston Tea Party and they answer New York. <laughs> you know, it's a spot on question because yeah. you, you know, yeah. You're not prepared to answer the question. And I just didn't, couldn't think of it about mm-hmm. that. So, like I said, that would be the main thing. Do not talk to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my other question was, too, you mentioned, like, never going back. Don't want to do yeah, that. And Not at all. With the with all the racial issues that have come up and the, the, the tragedies and Maude Arbery and George Lloyd. And, mm-hmm. man, it's really tense right now. And there's yeah. a big focus on police and especially black young men, you know, right where, where mm-hmm. you were, like, would, for you not wanting to go back, like, are, are the things that you fear right now, even the way our society is now and in our community and things that you're just like, oh. man, I have to stay away from. I like, I, I fear, I still have fear that even if I do everything correctly, oh, like yeah. I could be accused of something I was innocent of again. Yeah. Uh, overall, there's no fear because uh, I don't want to, sound too far away from the point but i don't live that lifestyle Mm -hmm. so i don't fear in a sense but i know how the system is set up so the fear is there in that sense and when you look at just what's going on around i mean it hurts because it brings back what happened to me Mm -hmm. and i know i didn't die physically but i died in another sense because my life was almost taken from me. You know, I had to totally regroup at a later age. You know, most people, you know, you get a chance to live your whole life. And I had to, I couldn't start living my life until I was 27 just because of something that I didn't do. Mm -hmm. So it's real hard looking at what's going on now. And, but it's a reality because it's been going on and going through the system, you hear all these stories of, Pretty much the same thing. They might not be totally innocent, but the the sentence doesn't fit the crime. And you look and see, you know, white counterparts get far less time than, you know, a black person for the same thing. And you see it all the time in there because, you know, everybody, talk, everybody talks about their charges, their time. And, you know, such and such got one year and probably a white person and a black person got five years or more for the same thing first offense and that's the other thing about it that was my first offense never been in trouble before or nothing Mm -hmm. and the only offer to me was 10 years so it hurts just to see it because like i said it just stirs up so much emotion Mm -hmm. just from what i went through and i mean i always ask myself what i could do I mean, I have went back, but not in a bad way. I have went back to the one of the prisons I was at to minister to them, you know, to let them see that there is hope. Mm-hmm. So I went back, but I don't know. Like, I want to help, but I don't actually know how to help. I mean, I know one of the things I would like to help on is prison reform. And not necessarily prison reform, but possibly uh, having uh, some type of foundation for when they come home. Because I think that's what helped me make it. I had a support system. 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of convicts, felons, or whatever you want to call them, doesn't have that. And that's what leads to them going back. And also, uh, right now, you see every corporation jumping on the Black Lives Matter movement and saying, mm-hmm. you know, they're against uh, systematic oppression. No, do something about it, yeah. Hire convicted felons. Yeah, yeah. And I ran into that situation at a, a major hotel here. They flat out told me no because of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it wasn't for two of my friends, my support system who worked at the hotel at the time, I wouldn't have got the job. They spoke up for me and told them, you know, what type of person I was. And uh, they talked to like their managers and they had a good relationship with their managers. So their managers pretty much spoke up for me. And that's how I got the job. But overall, they wasn't going to hire me just over the fact that I was a convicted felon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to the major corporations right now saying that, you know, they're against it. That is one of the problems that keeps it going because if you can't get a job, I know you shouldn't do it, but you don't almost have a choice but to go back to, say, if you're a drug dealer selling drugs because you know that's the way to make money. If I can't make it legally, I have to go back to making it illegally. It's not right, but that's the situation that they're put in. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if they're a robber, whatever the case is. So that's something that definitely needs to change, like, you know, Hire convicted felons. Give them a chance. Mm-hmm. Not all of them are bad. Even the ones who actually did a you know, crime, they still need a chance to turn around. Mm-hmm. They can't turn around if you don't give them a chance. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the main things that need to happen. Mm. That's well said. And, you know, one of the other things I do want to backtrack to, and don't doesn't have to be all about the, the prison life there for you, but it was like you mentioned you – you met your dad at 33, yes. and I, I wanted to make sure we, we got that before we ended the oh, podcast, yeah. what that was like and how that how that came about. Uh, I worked in auto auto detailing, so uh, I walked into a dealership one day, and a guy immediately called out his name and said, you look like him. You got to be his son. And being that I never spoke to him and honestly didn't really know his whole name because it just wasn't something that I was caught up on. I'm not the type of person that, you know, get caught up on hangups and, you know, uh, like if you dealt a bad hand, like just do the best you can. So mm-hmm. it wasn't something that I was caught up on. So it wasn't like I'm seeking after him or nothing like that. So when he actually said it, I was like, no, I'm not. Like, that's not my daddy. <laughs> and so I went home to my mama like, hey, mama, somebody asked me, you know, and she was like, yeah, that's his name. So I always told myself, like, the next time I see him, I ask him about it. And I saw him a couple of times and never asked him. So one day I found him like, hey, you remember when you said he like, yeah, man, you look just like him. I got his mama number, man. We grew up together. So he called his mama, which was my grandma. So I talked to him on the phone. And it was, can't remember exactly when it was, but it was close to Thanksgiving. Because that's actually when I met him was on Thanksgiving because he stays in Augusta now. So he moved, I mean, he came down here on Thanksgiving, to, you know, to see his mama and all that. So I went over there and met him. So I met him Thanksgiving in 2000. 13, I believe, and wow. yeah, for the first time, 33 so years what's old. What's that like, man? I mean, we talk here and there. Uh, I mean, that's something we both need to do better at. And yeah, my excuse is just that I'm just, it wasn't something that I, I'm used to. It wasn't something mm-hmm. that I actually missed. Right. I know it's something that I need, but since I never really missed it, mm-hmm. I'm sure I did subconsciously, but just not consciously. So it's not like I'd be chasing after him or anything like that. But, you know, when we talk, everything is fine. And, but 
But you, you didn't know. go into it with like frustrations and why nah. or anything. It was just like, okay, let's let's see yeah. what happens. Yeah, it just uh, see what happens, take it day by day type thing. And like I said, we reach out to each other here and there, and we talk for a minute, and then it probably be a couple of months again before we talk to each other again. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess the relationship is ours. I mean, it's no ill will to me. I mean, he made his decision, and you know, based off of whatever he thought was best for him, I assume. Yeah. I mean, I never really, I mean, I know the story, but I never really asked him, like, man, why did you, you know, pretty much not take care of me? Never really asked him that. I mean, for one, it's too late. I mean, it ain't going to change nothing, so there's no point in asking him that. So we just talk, like, everything cool. I mean, we say I love yous, and, you know, and everything's fine. Mm-hmm. But I will say, like, I guess it does bother me because, like, there's no way possible that, I'm going to be out of my daughter's life. No way. And I think that's probably one of the driving forces behind it. Now that I think about it. So, yeah. She would not grow up without her daddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting to hear you talk about family and all this stuff. Because you can see, like, the the picture of your life and, like, what you went through. And, you know, just not having the dad but not even thinking about it to, you know, yeah. stuff you learned in prison and where where you came out of it and your your faith and like your love for family and just for trying to move on and make the best out of your life and how that's mm-hmm. really affecting where you are right now and, and sounds like how your husband dad and what you do with you know church but also trying to help other people who are in the same situation mm-hmm. that you're in and you know you it's, it's really easy to tell when somebody has a purpose after they go through something that's yeah. really crappy or tragic or they can't they couldn't control and like whether that kind of dictates a purpose in the rest of their life or mm-hmm. else it just like tanks the rest of their life and yeah. like you're someone that has purpose in family and work and life now yeah yeah i know i got work to do uh get stuck in trying to solidify myself you know probably more so on a financial standpoint so i just mainly just work all the time but i do know that i need to get back active uh I was trying to go back to the, you know, the prison that I've been to and wasn't able to get in contact with the same contact that I had. And so, but I need to do something else. I know I do because I know overall people need to hear my story just to know that even if you are convicted of that, it's still hope after that mm-hmm. because there's no way I could really prove my innocence other than me just telling you. So to yeah. the world, I'm just a convicted felon. So it's still hope after that. and. You just gotta wanna make it mm-hmm. and get rid of that the white man trying to hold me back mentality for the us black brothers and just overcome your odds, overcome you know the obstacles and everything that was meant to hold you back. Use it to your advantage. Let it fuel you. Let it put that fire up under you and just go. Just run. And I know I have a purpose. I mean, I haven't totally figured it out, but I'm sure a part of it is just possibly talking to youth or just people who've been through what I've been through or even somebody who's just innocent who just don't feel like life is fair. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. And you got a daughter that needs a good daddy and that's oh, you yeah. as well. So, I mean, Definitely. that alone right there is a powerful purpose in oh, yeah. itself. So. Yeah, especially in today's time. I mean, because yeah. it's, it's still a common thing that men, period, not just black men, men, period, are absent in a lot of areas in life that they're needed in and so uh well that's i mean that's 
kind of what I do for a living is mentoring. Yeah. A lot of them are at risk and even even young men that have a father around, oh, yeah. it's still not even necessarily a good situation. Oh yeah, and oh so I know that too, because my wife is a teacher and whew, yeah. hearing some of those stories. Yeah, I know man. And like you just sit and like scratch your head, you know, like before I had a kid, I'm not gonna say I didn't care, but it just wasn't something that I guess I put care to because I didn't have a kid. Mm -hmm. But after having a kid and you hearing those stories, you just be like, like how, like why? And I know it's hard for some people. It's not like an intent to necessarily appear to be a bad parent, but you just be just a head scratcher. And it's just sad hearing some of their stories. So mm -hmm. mentors are definitely needed. Yeah, I agree. Well, man, I appreciate your time. And, you know, at the end of the podcast, we always just ask for a little bit of advice, kind of a challenge from our guests to the listeners for somebody that has went through the experiences you have, especially with going prison, being accused of something you didn't do during that time and then having that affect such a big part of your life, yeah. a large part of your life. <clears throat> Excuse me. What what is something that a just an average person myself can do for someone like you that has went through something like that, either during the process of it or on the on the end of it when when they're out, like how how can they help? Because you've said like, hey, they need they need help, I, you know. Uh, during the process, one of the main things is just uh, not giving up on them, because that's one thing that hurts. Because how they did mail calls, they basically just called out your name. Because I was always in like open door, so basically just say 40 50 people in the open dorm so they officer just comes in there and be like mail for andre murray mail for you know who so and so and mm -hmm. so so when they're not calling your name you know that hurts it's like you're forgotten yeah. yeah so one of the things is don't forget about them don't give up on them even if they did it even if they murdered 100 people just don't give up on them because i know they seemingly are bad but it's still a good person inside of them and it's, they're still a human so they still need some type of consolement some type of support so the main thing was just don't give up on them while they're in there and once they come home help them try to make it you know use your resources to get them established you know somebody that possibly can get them a job because in this day and age there's so many entrepreneurs call somebody ask them hey can you use my uncle daddy friend cousin brother mm -hmm. you know give them a job you know and that's the start to everything if you have a job then you could begin to feel mm -hmm. you know like you're doing something like yeah. you could at least take care of yourself but yeah. if you can't take care of yourself you're not even going to begin to take care of somebody else mm -hmm. so that's one of the big things uh offer them support and uh be there for them. that's the main thing and that would be the biggest challenge you know st stay on their side because it's needed it's yeah. very important it's well, good advice, man. And I appreciate you. I think one of the most powerful things any of us have to, to use is our story. Yeah. And like you have a powerful one. And so it, regardless of all the, the junk you had to go through, which, you know, I'm sitting here and it frustrates me to no end, just hearing about it. Like it's still, like you said, you can use your story and your life for something still. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be stuck with what happened. And you know, I, I appreciate yeah. you giving us that story today because I think it's going to be real impactful for people to hear. Yeah, I have to, uh, guess, get out of my own way because, like I said, it still hurts. So I want to talk about it, but at the same time, I, I'm not going to say I'm scared to talk about it. I just don't want the pain to come. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So I had to get out of my own way and begin to tell it more. But I know I need to, though. Oh, I know. It's easier said than done, though, yeah. man. I mean, if I went through all that, it's like I don't. It, if you don't know if people like really want to hear and they're receptive to it, yeah. that's a hard thing, too. It's like you got to be able to share that in a safe place where mm -hmm. yeah. you you can't get rejected yeah, from it. You can't very, be like, oh, you know, yeah. you deserve this or this happened. Like it needs to be a safe place where like mm -hmm. people want to hear it and not yeah. going to give you like PTSD from a yeah. bad experience from it. You know? Yeah, I'm very selective of who I tell that story to. Very selective. Well, I appreciate you selecting oh, us yeah. to do it. And thanks, Quinn, for you, you know, yeah. hooking us up to be able to have this conversation. It was really meaningful for me personally. And so looking forward to just being friends and oh, yeah. helping out our community in ways that we can do that all together. So oh, yeah, if you feel you need me on anything, give me a call. You got my number now. So I do. You better watch out. Hey, I don't mind. <laughs> uh, I try to tell anybody, you know, if you think, cause especially the people who know, if you feel you need me, you know, if you got to your son, nephew, or anybody, I'll tell them. I mean, I'm not, like, trying to scare them or anything, but I'm just going to give them the reality yeah. of it. So, yeah. you know, part of your mentorship, if you feel my story can help anybody. Absolutely. You know, I give do. me a call. I do, and it's going to. So yeah. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for being here. And Thank uh, you. Quinn, thanks for producing for us. City Thank Church, you, thanks for hosting. And, uh, yeah, man, it's been neglected, and hope you all have a good one, man. Peace. Peace.